You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. was passionate about football and he wanted to put together a team and he wanted to keep playing. He ran into George Whitney Calhoun. Calhoun asked him what he was going to do about football. He said, well, you know, I'd, I'd like to play. There's all kinds of myths or legends about how George Calhoun and Curly Lambeau met. Nobody really knows whether it was on a street corner or in a bar or whatever. Calhoun allegedly said, well, why don't you start your own team? A bond is struck between Green Bay's new team and the city's daily newspaper, the Green Bay Press-Gazette. And as the old saying goes, the rest is history, right? Welcome to Packers Total Access. I'm your host, Clayton Bailey. You can find us on Packernet.com and also on Twitter, at Packers underscore access. And, uh, man, I, when I listen to that audio clip, right, <clears throat> and uh, and kind of hear and understand just how humble the beginnings were for the Green Bay Packers. It's hard not to uh, to have a sense of pride in the fact that that is your favorite team, you know, and how they were formed and how they've lasted all these years. And if you didn't catch on, um, what we're going to cover for the Packers history segment today is uh, George Calhoun, George Whitney Calhoun. You're probably hearing that name, and most Packer fans are probably going, I have no idea who that is. Well, we're going to explain to you who he is and how important he is to the history of the Green Bay Packers so that moving forward, it's a man that's not forgotten. By no stretch of the imagination was he a perfect man, but he definitely uh, fits that criteria that we talked about with the history of the Packers and, and greatness and not being able to tell the story without mentioning his name. So, uh, yeah, we're going to cover that. And the reason I chose George Calhoun for this episode is because we're going to get into some uh, mock draft talk. And, you know, when you talk about mock drafts, you know, the draft being a huge part of the quote-unquote management aspect of the Green Bay Packers and forming a team. And George Calhoun was, was very, very crucial in forming the very first Green Bay Packer team of the 1919 uh, season, right? And um, I think it's just kind of important to tie that together. And we're going to cover, like I said, some mock drafts. We're going to hit on six different mock drafts that I did over over three different platforms and uh, kind of show you what the results were. We all know, uh, you know, nobody can tell you exactly how this draft is going to fall, right? But it's, it's a blast kind of diving in and seeing what are – um, some of the scenarios, what, how could things maybe uh, unfold on draft night, and maybe we can kind of get a glimpse into what tier of prospects can we really have a chance of grabbing in the draft in a realistic manner. And I tell you, this couldn't have worked out any better for me because all six of these mock drafts, two from the Draft Network, two from uh, Pro Football Focus, and two from Pro Football Network. I used three different platforms so we could get a real good kind of um, broad look at the draft and rather than, you know, some people were complaining saying that, you know, well, PFF has an unrealistic amount of prospects that are available. 
Okay, I, you, you may be right. Some people are saying the draft network has an unrealistic pull of players for the Packers to draft from there at pick number 22. And some people are saying that about Pro Football Network. Well, I'll tell you this, all three of these laid out very, very different. So you can't say that all three are inaccurate. There's probably going to be some players fall, and uh, and it's going to be exciting to kind of look into that and, and just see what players do drop in our lap. So we're going to cover that. And then we're going to wrap it up with any news that may break here before we end the show and get this out to you guys uh, pretty quick. But uh, with that being said, let's jump right into Packers history. All right, George Whitney Calhoun. Like I said, most of you probably have never heard the name or it definitely doesn't ring a bell. Um, but, you know, you're not going to find anybody outside of Earl Lewis, Curly Lambeau that's more important to um, the history of the Green Bay Packers. George Whitney Calhoun is a co-founder of the Green Bay Packers. I know that's hard to believe because you don't see his name on the stadium. You don't hear him talked about much. But he's a guy that was just crucial, crucial to the founding of the Packers. And, and for those of you who don't know, he was the editor of the Green Bay Press-Gazette. Now, when you hear Green Bay Press-Gazette, you probably get mixed emotions. Some people love the Press-Gazette. Other people hate it. Some people like the reporters that you can follow on Twitter. Other people hate them. Um, you know, me, I'm kind of indifferent. There's times that they post stuff and I see the paywall and all that. And I'm kind of like, man, y'all, you, you need to get with the times. It looks pretty, uh, looks pretty bad that you're trying to gouge people for every dime you can to quote unquote, read your masterpiece. Right. But with that being said, he was the editor of the Green Bay Press Gazette. You know, the story goes that he ran into Curly Lambeau after Lambeau returned home from Notre Dame. I don't want to make this episode all about Lambeau, and I think Calhoun would appreciate that, seeing that they ended up being bitter rivals toward the end of their lives. But um, it's important to mention that Curly Lambeau actually went, he was at East, uh, East High School, East Green Bay High standout. He went to Notre Dame to play under the great Newt Rockney, and he uh, had a brief illness, was forced to come home. He came home to Green Bay. He ran into... Um, George Calhoun, and like the the audio clip said there in the intro, it's kind of a mystery. Did they did they talk about this over a beer in a local bar? Did they just meet on the street corner? I do know they did meet at the Green Bay Press Gazette when they were kind of finalizing the plans of how they were going to go about creating this team. But uh, really, um, that's what it came down to was a conversation of George Calhoun asking Curly, "Hey, you know, have you thought about continuing to play?" And you know. Football in Green Bay actually dates back to the 1890s, believe it or not. There's actually a newspaper clipping that talks about a local Sandlot team all the way back to the 1890s. And it was kind of a form of entertainment of, of locals coming out to watch these guys crack skulls and then have a cold beer afterwards, as the historians like to tell the, tell the, uh, the story. But, um, yeah, so he, he runs into Curly after he comes home from Notre Dame. He says, hey, what do you think? Are you thinking about putting together a team? Why don't we do that? And really that first team kind of consists of mostly Curly Lambeau's high school teammates from East Green Bay High. Right. And uh, the thing that Calhoun did that was so crucial in the early stages was he put out several articles in the Green Bay Press Gazette encouraging athletes to join the team, essentially becoming the first the very first recruiter for the Green Bay Packers. You know, Curly gets a lot of a lot of credit for being this great recruiter before there was a draft and before there was free agency. And he would go out and pry these awesome athletes away from big teams like the New York Giants and so on. Um, but Calhoun would serve as the Packers' first um, manager of the team. And, you know, a manager, when you hear that, sometimes you might be 
tied to Major League Baseball and what a manager does. Calhoun did nothing on the field. He didn't he didn't call plays. That's what Curley did as the captain back in those days. The captain called the plays on the field. But George Calhoun was the, the first Packers manager. And what he would do is just kind of handle things, handle the business, promoting the team, make, making sure that they had opponents lined up to come in and play. And they would, they would pass the hat in the early stages to collect money for the team and to kind of help cover costs and, and put a little bit of change in the players' pockets and make it a little bit uh, somewhat worthwhile, I guess you could say. But um, it goes without saying that players back then really played for love of the game. And I think that's what is so romantic about the early stages of the National Football League and, and specifically with the Green Bay Packers is these guys were out there literally risking their lives. It was normal back then for a player to die on the field. Um, you know, they were there was all these reports uh, in the early going and I, that, you know, that people wanted to have football banned because it was so dangerous back then. And luckily for people with a backbone like, uh, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, former president, stepped up and kind of saved football and spoke against it because he had such a passion and love for the game. But uh, that those early years, you know, it was played in a sandlot field, basically an open field with no bleachers. They said that there was a roped off part of what was called Hegemeister Park. And if we ever get a chance to meet up in Green Bay, I think that would be a good spot because there's a restaurant there now. It's kind of like a local small pub. And uh, it's built right there on the grounds next to where Hegemeister Park was. And you can actually Google search that if you're if you're in Wisconsin and want to check that place out. It's just kind of the old stomping grounds. I think it's definitely uh, right there, you know, with visiting Curly Lambeau's grave and things like that, that I, I was lucky enough to do in, in one of my first trips to Green Bay and kind of take everything in as far as the history. But um, eventually they built a field around the stadium. And uh, Calhoun, being the manager, he would man the front gate and ensure that attendees paid when they did start um, actually charging rather than just passing the hat. And and he was the PR guy. He was spinning the story as the team's quote-unquote publicity director. Until 1947, he was the publicity director for the Green Bay Packers. And it was that year that Curly Lambeau forced him to resign. They had a falling out. And this is a part of the story that, that gets a little bit ugly, but at the same time, what you have is is two you know men's men, right? Two guys that, that had a passion for this organization and a passion for what they wanted it to become and, and turn into, and, and they kind of butted heads, right? And uh, they they became what a lot of people would describe as bitter rivals, um, you know, uh, so much to the point that he was actually quoted. George Calhoun was quoted as saying he hoped to outlive Lambeau so he could pee on his grave. I mean, that's how bad it had gotten between those two guys. But, you know, after that, um, he was uh, once once Curley left the team. Um, he had a little bit of falling out with the board of directors, and we won't go into all the history of the first stock sales. We'll save that for a, another episode in the future. But uh, he was added to the board of directors, George Calhoun was, and he served on the team for a total of 44 years before his death in 1963. And if you guys remember, they played at Old City Stadium, which is now where East Green Bay High School plays. They got a nice – that they – been able to preserve that stadium and the high school team still plays there before new city stadium was built in 1957 which would later be renamed lambeau field after curly lambeau but george calhoun's ashes were scattered over city stadium and a statue now sits on a park bench 
and rightfully so with a cigar in his mouth, the old top hat, the old, you know, I guess I guess it's technically a top hat, kind of the old fedora-looking hats, you know, with the coat on and, and just, as one guy said, just this old crusty newsman, you know, just this guy that he loved to eat cheese, he loved cold beer, and always had a cigar in his mouth. But that statue now sits on a park bench, and uh, it's in honor uh, of George Calhoun, and it sits on the Packers Heritage Trail. And rightfully so, George Whitney Calhoun was elected to the Green Bay Packer Hall of Fame in 1978. And I think it's so important to acknowledge people like that, that played such a huge role in the history of the Green Bay Packers and making it the, the team that it is today. And, uh, you know, if if this wasn't enough information for you, if you find yourself going, wow, I want to dig into that a little bit more, Guys, there's all kinds of stuff on YouTube that's worth checking out. I would suggest you check out the Packers Legacy documentary. Um, the very first episode, I probably watched it 30 times. It's called Humble Beginnings. And man, does it do a great job of just telling the story of the founding of the Green Bay Packers. And, and again, you can't tell that story without mentioning George Whitney Calhoun. And again, um, you know, the rivalry that was created, it's hard not to grin just to think of some of the conversations that must have took place between Lambeau and Calhoun there as they had their falling out. But what I've got here in my studio is a picture, not two separate pictures. I took two separate pictures and spliced them into one, and I have it framed right next to both of my Packers, um, Packers stock right certificates. And it's a picture of Curly Lambeau as a player in 1919 and George Whitney Calhoun. And uh, I'm forcing them into the frame together because those two guys were equally um, responsible for the founding of of what you know Cliff Crystal calls the greatest story in sports, and that's the founding of the Green Bay Packers. So there's your Packers history for the day. Hope you enjoyed that. And now we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we're going to get into talking some mock drafts. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, here we go. You're either getting really excited about this topic, you're burnout, or you just think this is a complete waste of time. You know, whichever it is, if you do feel like mock drafts are a waste of time, then just cut off the program, skip right ahead to the next podcast, and keep it moving. You know what I'm saying? I'm not a huge mock draft fan, but I don't use it in a sense of, hey, guys, look, I have the best mock draft, or, you know, look what I was able to pull off, as if this, you know, this information is going to fall directly into place exactly the way that, you know, one specific mock draft, you know, may, may turn out. The way I look at it, is it's a, a chance to compile information, to, to look at multiple mock drafts and be able to say, okay, what's a realistic approach to this draft? 
what's a scenario that might fall into place, right? And Goose does an excellent job. He's a part of the Packer Packernet podcast team, and he does a great job. Find him on Twitter, follow him. He does a lot of mock drafts, and he looks at it the same way I do from a realistic standpoint with the perception that, you know what, to sit here and pretend like we know more than any scouting department in the entire NFL, it's easy to make fun of the New York Jets and some of these other teams, right, that just suck all the time. But to pretend like we understand scouting players more than they do is just silly, right? So for me, this is just an exercise. Like I said, it's, a, it's an opportunity to lay out multiple mock drafts. And in this case, we did six mock drafts, two from the Draft Network, two from Pro Football Focus, two from Pro Football Network, to kind of get a good gathering of information and see what players might be there, right? And um, we get, we're just doing three-round mock drafts, okay? So they're just three rounds. It's going to be five total picks. There's no trading in these mock drafts because I think that's just another crapshoot. The Packers may trade up. They may trade down. But to sit here and pretend like we understand or think, know exactly what they're going to do in that regard, I think is just silly. So three rounds, five picks. My needs, like I had mentioned before in past podcasts, I've got five needs, wide receiver, offensive line, um, those two can be interchangeable. I feel like we need offensive line just as much as wide receivers and vice versa. Um, safety, linebacker, and edge. I won't bore you with the details of why I think those are the top needs. If you've listened to past shows, you completely understand by now. But what I did find was uh, two of the six landed top-tier talent. Okay, So two of the mock drafts landed top-tier talent. That's kind of exciting. Because when I look at my big board and I think of the, the top tier, I've got 10 players in the top tier. I didn't say, it's hey, I'm going to pick a top 10. It's just how the information compiled. There just so happened to be 10 players in that top tier. In the second tier, there are 12 players. And what gets ex- exciting to me is two of those six mock drafts landed top tier talent. And then every other mock draft, we landed tier two talent. Guys, that fires me up because Tier 2 technically sits between 11 and 22, and we've got pick 22, right? So when I look at that, it would be very rare that I would think that we would get Tier 2 talent just going in. Maybe it's the the pessimist in me, right, that that I would think, okay, no, there's no way that we're going to be able to get Tier 2 every single mock draft, but we did. And again, this is over six mock drafts from three different networks. So let's just kind of dive into it. And to break it down as well, um, I'm just going to go through and read the mock drafts to you one by one. And I'm going to do this and try not to make it in a boring fashion. Okay, we're going to rapid fire go through and then just kind of give you a recap of what that means and as far as what players might have been selected multiple times, right? And that might give us an idea of, hey, there's a realistic chance that we could land these players because there ended up being one, two, three, four players that we drafted twice over the course of these six mock drafts. And those players start to stand out to me a little bit like, okay, these are realistic names that might fall in the lap for the Green Bay Packers. So starting off with the draft network, the very first mock draft, Pick 22, I took linebacker Lloyd. You're probably thinking, why did you take a linebacker with your first pick, right? Because he was in that tier two, and at the time he was the highest graded player in the mock draft for me. He actually sits at the number 14 spot on my big board, on my horizontal board, okay? So we got the number 14 talent at pick 22. You can't pass that up. 
It's all about drafting the best players possible. Now, in that scenario, there may be a team willing to jump up if they indeed have Lloyd as high on their board as I did. They might be willing to jump up and trade. And in that scenario, you guys have heard me talk about it at nauseum. Trade back, trade back, trade back. I'm all about getting value, less salary cap hit on the players that are going to be on the roster. If indeed you can get players from that same tier. In that scenario, I, th I think it would have been worth it to trade back. But we're not going to get into all that. We're not going to go down that rabbit trail. I said I wasn't going to do it, right? So the draft network. Pick 22, linebacker Lloyd. Pick 28, wide receiver Olave. Pick 53, running back Walker. Again, another one of those choices. Best player available. Value was too good. Couldn't pass it up. Uh, pick 59, edge rusher Jackson. Pick 92, cornerback Jones. Okay, moving on to the second draft network uh, mock draft. Number 22 pick, Karloftis. Took Karloftis because he is right on the brink of breaking through to Tier 1. He's technically Tier 2. We're not going to fudge the numbers. He grades out as the 11th best prospect uh, or in the 11th spot. Not necessarily the 11th best, but the 11th spot worthy of an 11th pick. And we got him at pick 22. That blew my mind. The thought of getting Karloftis at pick 22 really fires me up. It really does. Pick 28, offensive tackle Raymond. Great pick there. I thought that was excellent. Pick number 53, wide receiver Pickens. I thought that was a great pick. Pick 59, linebacker Muma. Pick 92, wide receiver Pierce. Some of you guys are grinning right now. The thought of getting both Pickens and Pierce outside of the first round at wide receiver is pretty remarkable. Now let's move on to PFF. Here's the mock draft for the PFF. Okay. Offensive At number 22, offensive lineman Linderbaum. He's an interior offensive lineman. A lot of people say he can only play center. I personally believe, based off of what uh, the quote-unquote experts are saying, he could play guard. Who knows? Maybe you slide um, Myers to guard and let Linderbaum start at center. We know Myers struggle greatly, so I'm not above drafting Linderbaum in the first round and him being an immediate starter and being what we thought Myers was going to be. I'm not writing Myers off. He could turn into a great professional center, right, or a great interior lineman for the Packers. It's just the value was so great there with Linderbaum. He was in Tier 2. He was the, on the in the 20th spot on my big board, on my horizontal board. So um, couldn't pass him up at 22 with value at 20. Um, number 28 pick, edge rusher Ojabo. I thought that was excellent. You know, Ojabo falls right there in Tier 2 as well. He sits at the number 17 spot. <clears throat> Number 53, defensive line Hall. Number 59, wide receiver Tolbert. A lot of people aren't talking about Tolbert. He's a little bit further down in my Tier 7, but he sits at the 61 spot. And you guys have heard me talk about in the past that um, you know the most recent drafts have shown that there's great value in the second and third round when it comes to wide receivers. I think Tolbert might be one of those guys. At number 92, you had tied in likely. Moving on to Pro Football Network, you've got with the number 22 pick, edge defender Trayvon Walker. That's right. You heard that right. I don't know how accurate this is. Again, that's why I did multiple platforms. That's why I wanted to go Draft Network, PFF, and Football Network because these type of things happen, and immediately Twitter blows up, and they go, there's no way that's realistic. There's no way Trayvon Walker falls. You may be right. That's why we use multiple platforms, and in this case, only one time did he fall, but he fell right in our lap to 22 Trayvon Walker is a Tier 1 player. He grades out at a 9.5 on mine. He sits in the 10 slot. 
that's a guy that you could plug and play, I believe, year one. Um, he, he could, you know, really, really provide a lot of depth at edge. I really don't even need to explain why I took him. He was hands down the best player on the board, so I took him at pick 22. At pick 28, here's a name you're going to hear again, wide receiver Olave. At pick 53, offensive tackle Raymond. At pick 59, safety Petrie. I really like that pick at 59. Petrie sits in the number 39 spot on my big board. Grades out of the 43. That's someone that could uh, really compete with, uh, with uh, I'm sorry, uh, Darnell Savage. I almost said Jair Alexander. Nobody can replace Jair, trust me. <laughs> but he could compete with uh, Darnell Savage Jr. at free safety and who knows may step into that starting role next year if indeed we do let uh, we do let Savage walk into free agency. So Petrie there at 59 and then at number 92, I love this pick. You heard Jacob talk on the past podcast of just how much he loves Chanel from uh, a linebacker Chanel from Wisconsin whose measurables are just I mean they're off the freaking charts. A guy that's 250 pounds with with that kind of RAS score. Great pick there. Now moving on to the second time through with Pro Football Network's mock draft. We got at number 22, wide receiver Garrett Wilson. That is the top wide receiver on my board. He's a tier one talent sitting at the nine spot, grading out at an 8.5. Um, Garrett Wilson. And with my grades, guys, the lower the number, the more value there is, the, the, the better the player is. If we could land Garrett Wilson at number 22, I'd be doing backflips. I don't see it happening. It only happened in one mock, but those it just so happens Pro Football Network were the two mocks that I did that allowed us to land tier one athletes, which kind of tells me that Pro Football Network probably not the not the most accurate mock draft simulator. But number twenty two, Garrett Wilson. Number twenty eight, offensive line Linderbaum. <clears throat> number fifty three, edge defender Ojabo. Number fifty nine, wide receiver Pickens. Number ninety two, edge defender Benito. Now I will say this with Pro Football Network. <clears throat> That's probably my favorite draft right there. Um, again, it may not be realistic, but that mock draft right there was my favorite. If I could pick out of all of these scenarios, this is the one that I would choose. Your 22 pick was wide receiver Wilson, top-tier talent, best wide receiver in the draft, in my humble opinion. At number 28, offensive line Linderbaum. I've got him in Tier 2, grading out at, at uh, around the 20 spot. You get him at pick 28. That's great value there. And it allows you to plug him into the offensive line, beef it up. I would slide Jenkins over to right tackle if indeed he is healthy. Um, the third pick at number 53 was edge defender Ajabo. You get that guy who can step in and spell both Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary at the edge position. Number 59, you got wide receiver Pickens. Um, who I think that the combination of Wilson and Pickens together in this draft would be excellent to add depth and potential starting starters to the wide receivers position there with Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, and uh, and you know again I believe personally that Amari Rogers is going to really step up this year. And then at pick 92 you got another edge defender in Benito, and really I took Benito because it was just it was too good of a value pick there a little bit later in the draft. Uh, the way that fell, you know, he's in my tier five. Uh, that puts him there at the 46 spot. So to think that you could get 
the 46th best prospect at number 92 was just too much value to pass up on. So those are the mock drafts. All right, so let's do a quick recap. And I'm going to try not to make this – I'm going to try to put a bow on this for you guys, okay? The players selected multiple times. Okay, I just laid out all the mock drafts. You probably heard one or two of those that you got really excited and said, God, I would love Trayvon Walker, right? I would love uh, Wilson, right? Um, You know, wide receiver Wilson there, Garrett Wilson, as the top pick and to be a, a starting wide receiver for us. Here are the names that were selected multiple times. And what it tells me is there's a realistic chance that at some point the Packers will have an opportunity to draft these guys and would probably jump on the chance if indeed it is the pick that lines up with the value. Um, first of all, all four of these players were drafted twice over the course of three platforms and six mock, dra- six mock drafts. These are the players that were selected twice. <clears throat> at number 28, wide receiver Olave. I think no one would complain about having Olave as a draft pick. He's a tier two pick for me. Right, He's in the second tier that kind of falls into where I expect us to be able to find talent with that number 28 pick, or at least number 22, but in this case it was number 28. So both times, wide receiver Olave was my number 28 pick. Another prospect that was selected twice, both times he was selected in the number 28 spot as well. That's edge defender Ojabo. Okay, so look for him to potentially be a pick there at number 28 or at least available. Goody may completely disagree with this. I'm just going off the information I have. And if he does, I've learned in the past when it comes to Jair Alexander, you trust Goody. When Jair Alexander's name was called, I was like, what? He's not even at the top of my board. Now, I've changed things a lot in the last several years. But I remember thinking that Jair turned out to be a lights out defender right same thing with Stokes last year a lot of people were going man I really expected him to go in the second round the Packers took him in the first look how it turned out he performed very well um, as far as far as PFF Greg's concerned he stayed healthy for the most part played a, a big big role in filling in for Jair with Jair's absence so I trust Goody okay and Goody we trust right here on this program but I think it's important to to mention these guys um, the next one was also selected twice. That's interior offensive line, center, whatever you want to call him, Linderbaum. He was selected twice. What's cool about Linderbaum, once I took him at number 22 because the way the board fell, that was uh, on the on the PFF mock draft, the way the board fell, he was hands down the best prospect on the board for me. And I'm, I'm just one of those guys that trust the board. Take the best player available. Don't try to reach for need. It just so happens that the best player available also fit a need, which is on the offensive line, both interior and at the offensive tackle position. Elton Jenkins is really going to be that wild card for me. Maybe they don't look at Elton Jenkins the same way I do, but the way he played at left tackle and the way he can play, he can play center, he can play guard, he can play left tackle. I believe we could plug him in at right tackle and be the starting right tackle if indeed uh, the value isn't there at offensive tackle when we select at number 22 or 28. But Linderbaum was selected at both number 22 and number 28, selected twice for me. Um, And then the fourth and final prospect that was selected twice on my mock drafts was wide receiver Pickens. He was taken in two different spots in two different mock drafts for me, number 53 and number 59. The thought of getting Pickens at number 53 or 59 really gets me excited because on my horizontal board, he is number 40. I mean, you're talking about jumping up 10 spots and grabbing or, you know, waiting 10 spots to grab a guy that high on the board. 
Both scenarios there, when I took him at 53 and 59, he was hands down the best prospect on the board at the time. So it's it's kind of difficult to do these mock drafts without having your own board because you're just kind of at the mercy of the site and uh, and who you know the draft network thinks is the best prospect available, who PFF thinks the best best prospect that that's available, and the same thing with Pro Football Network. I love the way I've set my board up because what I'm seeing with these all of these websites, there's quite a bit of contrast, and that's what I wanted. I didn't want everything just to line up with one website. I wanted to compile enough data and go, okay, you know, with Greg Cosell being my senior scout is the way I look at it, right? A lot of these players shifted tremendously because Greg Cosell thought very highly of them. I took into consideration their PFF grades in college. I think that's something that's very, very important, especially with how much stock I put into um, NFL players and what their PFF grade is. I want some kind of commonality there, right? I wanted something to kind of tie it together. And then, of course, I went with the consensus big board, which is all the experts, Daniel Jeremiah, all those guys compiled into one and, and used that database together. And then I kind of took a, a look at a, a few prospects that I thought, you know what, I'm going to put my stamp of approval on this guy. I like the way he plays. I think he's got the right attitude. I think he plays hard just based off of the things that I've heard and seen with my own eyes uh, watching college football last year. So the big board is definitely, there's a lot of contrast with some of these big websites. And that kind of gets me excited because I feel like this is a genuine board of how I feel it should fall um, based off of all the information that's compiled. And that's not to say that I'm right or better than anyone else. Um, I think it's going to be really cool to see on draft night when we do our PackerNet podcast live draft to see how everybody's board may differ. You know, when it, just to paint a little picture for you, this is the way I imagine that live draft telecast. I imagine, you know, the lines are on the on the board at number two, right? We're waiting for the pick to come in, and as we're waiting, we go around the horn. Ryan Schlipp, who is your top three prospects right now on your board? Rattle them off. Bam. J.J. Leahy, who is your top three prospects available on the board right now? Awesome. Mine, whoever whoever might join us. I don't know. That's that's totally up to Ryan who might be a part of that panel. But I'm really excited to hear their take and then look at my board and go, wow, holy cow, I've got that guy way lower. Did I miss something there? And us just elaborate on on how the draft is is unfolding right before our eyes. I think it's going to be very, very exciting. So I hope you guys enjoyed that exercise. I wanted to get this out sooner rather than later because I know that last week there's going to be a ton of mock draft podcasts, and by then I'm hoping we can move on kind of to something else and have some guests on the show and and do some, uh, some things a little different. But that's your mock draft. Again, if I had to pick four players that I think there's a great chance the Packers will have an opportunity to draft, and I think highly enough of them according to my board, it's wide receiver Alave at number 28, edge defender Ajabo at number 28, uh, interior offensive line Linderbaum at number 22 and or number 28, and wide receiver Pickens at 53 and or 59. Okay, so those are the four that I would look for. Wide receiver Olave, edge defender Ajabo, interior offensive line Linderbaum, and wide receiver Pickens. I'd be really excited to see the Packers just draft one of those players. And who knows, maybe they'll land a couple. That would be really cool. Also worth noting of the four players that were drafted multiple times in these mock drafts, the Packers have visited slash interviewed two of those four players. One being wide receiver Olave, and two being Linderbaum, the interior offensive lineman. So of the four that tend to be available and make sense according to my draft board in these mock drafts, 
the two that make the most sense as far as interviews would be Olave and Linderbaum. Now, keep in mind that in the past, to the best of my knowledge of research I've done, the Packers have not drafted a lot of the players they've interviewed, if, if any. I mean, I think I looked last year, if I remember correctly, last year's draft, they didn't interview anyone that they ended up drafting in the entire class. When I say interview, I mean meeting at the uh, scouting combine. Some sites include that as a visit slash interview. I know like quarterback Malik Willis, it's my understanding that the Packers actually talked to him at the combine in a uh, a one-on-one interview. Uh, But like I said, Olave and Linderbaum were the two of those four players that actually met with the Packers. Now, other notable interviews, I guess you could say, or uh, or meetings, whatever visits that they're scheduled in Green Bay, like I said, all this is compiled into one website. I didn't really take the time to differentiate between a in-person visit, an interview, a combine, a meeting, whatever. Um, but of those players, let's just rattle them all off to the best of my knowledge that are on my top 100 big board right now, the horizontal board. Quarterback Malik Willis, wide receivers Olave, Traylon Burks, Pickens, halfback Spiller, who's pretty far down the list here. He's in the 90s on my board. Um, Interior offensive lineman Linderbaum, which we mentioned, and interior offensive lineman Salyer. And then on the defensive side, I'm only showing one player on my big board here um, in the top 100, and that's edge rusher Williams. I think it's Sam Williams, I believe his name. I'm not 100% sure on that. So, again, I just wanted to point that out that um, within this mock, the players that were drafted multiple times, two of those popped out as visits in Olave and Linderbaum. Not a whole lot of news as we wrap up here. I will say that it's pretty cool seeing that PFF actually tweeted out the highest graded defenders under the age of 25 this past season were number one, Max Crosby at a 91.4, number two, Micah Parsons, 89.8. You heard us highlight him quite a bit in the last episode when we were breaking down linebackers with Jacob and just talking about how he's transitioned to the NFL. And number three is our very own Rashawn Gary at 89.3, just ahead of absolute game-breaker, superstar. If you talk to 49ers fans, he's superhuman. Uh, Nick Bosa at 88.3. So just thought it'd be worth mentioning that, yeah, Rashawn Gary actually graded out better than Bosa. So there you go. In other draft news across Twitter, Tom Pelissero tweeted out, uh, it's another busy week for Oregon defensive end Kayvon Thibodeau, who heads to Detroit for a visit with the Lions' number two pick uh, on Tuesday, then has the Giants on Thursday, they have the number five pick, and then the Jets on Friday, who have the number four pick. Um, he visited the Texans with the number three pick last week. So you've got teams from all over doing visits with Kayvon Thibodeau, um, number two pick, number three pick, four pick, and five pick. On my horizontal board, I've actually got him set in the number three spot. He's the three best prospect, obviously, in the top tier. So that kind of lines up with what my board shows. Obviously, nothing, you know, dramatic or or you know eye opening there a lot of people believe he may even be the best prospect in the draft i've definitely got him in the top 3 uh, mike garafolo also tweets out more trayvon walker to the jags at number 1 chatter this time from peter schrager i've heard this i've heard the chatter trent balky sees a lot of out on smith in walker we're 17 days away from balky and the jags making their decision so with the number 1 pick trayvon walker 
is actually heating up to the Jags a little bit. I do trust Peter Schrager. I think Peter Schrager has a very, very, very good um, relationship with coaches around the league, not sources. Notice I didn't say sources. I said coaches. He's a guy who wines and dines with with the coaches, you know, defending Super Bowl uh, champion coach, um, you know, McVay out there in L.A. He and Peter Schrager actually did a podcast together. They had, I mean, at least at least a half a dozen, maybe more different coaches who came on Flying Coach uh, on that podcast. So he's someone that I definitely trust. He's not going to put his name on the line, throwing quote unquote rumors around. So I think there really is a legitimate shot that the Jaguars take Trayvon Walker there with number one. If it was me, obviously with you know Trayvon Walker being an edge rusher, I'm going Hutchinson and Thibodeau before Walker, but. I think there might be a little something to to this story here, and uh, you guys remember in the mock draft earlier in the show, uh, one time in one situation, one time I thought it was somewhat unrealistic that Trayvon Walker fell to number twenty-two. I just do not see there being a chance of that at all. And this tweet kind of uh, kind of solidifying that you know that stance and the fact that the Jaguars are rumored to taking him at number one. So if you guys are paying attention, obviously on Twitter today you'll see. The news feed is blown up from Packer reporters because we do have coaches in the building with a little bit of accessibility um, to uh, to actually interview them, talk at press conferences, things like that. And I, I think it's just it's really cool. We need to touch on it because we're getting that much closer to organize that uh, team activity right in the off season here. And uh, and really, as we get past the draft, you're going to get into uh, mini camps and training camp and all that good stuff. It's it's going to come up on us quick. But there was two guys that were really still in the show, still in the show show today um, when it comes to press conferences and that's uh, new special teams coordinator Rich Bisaccia and obviously our offensive line guru uh, Luke Buckus but first of all with Rich Bisaccia this is coming from Matt Schneidman on Twitter he's been tweeting out all kinds of quotes today and they've been gold Matt LaFleur said that Rich Bisaccia is a fiery dude when they asked Bisaccia about that comment in the press conference he said well I'm just kind of short I'm bald I'm Italian. Maybe that makes me mad. <laughs> so that's the kind of guy that they've brung in. And I think it's really cool because, you know, we were a little bit worried that when Nathaniel Hackett left for Denver, he took that energy with them. And, you know, that's what the players all talked about, especially Aaron Rodgers. He praised Nathaniel Hackett for being this high-energy guy who made the meeting room fun but made it engaging and really got – everybody involved and and there's a sense of pride that goes in to those meetings you, you know you know the best meetings that you'll ever be a part of whether it's sports business whatever are those that you're looking forward to right Nobody wants to go to a meeting where they know it's going to be about one or two people and it's just going to be boring as you know what, and it's just, let's go through the motions. People could tell when you're faking it. People could tell when you have no heart. People could tell when you don't care about what it is you're talking about. And it's obvious that Matt LaFleur has put together a coaching staff from top to bottom that he's telling them high energy. I mean, you've heard me play the soundbite before on this show at the opening, right? High energy, high effort. That's what that's what Matt Lafleur is all about, and you got to be that twenty four seven. And it seems like Basacha is bringing that to the table. Another thing, Matt Schneiman tweets out. He said Basacha says he tried getting Pat O'Donnell as his punter in Oakland when he arrived there four years ago. So even before they moved to Vegas, he was trying to get Pat O'Donnell as his punter. And it's another sign that Basacha has plenty of influence in personnel here. O'Donnell now the Packers' new punter. So obviously, last year Mason Crosby took a lot of the flack, a lot of the uh, the criticism for missed field goals, things like that. Guys, you can go back and watch the tape. There were bad snaps. 
there were bad holds, okay? That whole exchange there. To me, the majority of that falls on the special teams coordinator because if he's not coaching these guys up, you don't make it to the NFL level and not be able to do those things. But there's something wrong when it's the punt returner's uh, fault, the kick returner's fault, the snapper's fault, the kicker's fault, the holder's fault, the gunner's fault. The All of that falls under the special teams coordinator. So that's why it was so important to make that move. And we talked about it all year long. I know I did before I joined the Packernet podcast uh, community here. I, I was constantly posting about it and catching flack for it. Like they've got to make a change. Mo Drayton is a great dude. I hope he catches on and, and, and lights it up moving forward. But the guy was not doing his job as special teams coordinator. And it's obvious that Matt LaFleur, the Green Bay Packers, Mark Murphy, Brian Gutekunst, they all put their heads together and said, we want to go after a guy who's got a ton of experience. That's Rich Bisaccia. I mean, you've seen what he did as the interim coach uh, for the Las Vegas Raiders last year, leading them to the playoffs. Nobody expected that after Gruden fiasco happened, right? Um, so he's a guy who knows how to lead men. They also asked Rich Bisaccia, why come here? He said, why come here? Why come to the Green Bay Packers? It's the Green Bay Packers. So I thought that was a really, really cool quote, that he understands the history. He knows it's all about winning championships in Green Bay. And, and I mean, you think about it. As a head coach, these guys, and, you know, we got Coach Hahn that's a part of our network, and he's working his way up through the ranks. And, and I can only imagine the grind that goes into starting at the very bottom and working your way all the way to the top of the most popular professional sports league in the history of the world in the NFL, right? And you've got this guy that spent his entire life in Basacha getting to that level. And then to have the opportunity to walk those same sidelines as Vince Lombardi, right? To walk those same sidelines as even Mike Holmgren. And some of you may disagree. I think Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy's got one of the highest winning percentages in the history of the NFL, right? Um, You're talking about greatness. You know, step into the shadows of Curly Lambeau. You know what I mean? And, And to look up on the on that facade and see all of those names, the Don Hudson's, the Arnie Herbers, the you know, the the Machowski, the Cal Hubbard, all of those guys. I mean you could go on and on. Clark Hinkle. And then you get into the newer age and with with, uh, with Lombardi's Packers and the, like we talked about Ray Nitschke and Jerry Kramer, Forrest Gregg, Bart Starr, and, and into Holmgren's era with, with Favre and and all of those guys, Reggie White, arguably one of the best defenders in the history of the game. This guy understands what it means to be a coach for the Green Bay Packers, and I love it. Another guy still in headlines is Luke Buckus. If you don't know Luke Buckus, one of our you know our offensive line guru, right, with the Green Bay Packers, he's actually the nephew of Dick Buckus, you know, famous Chicago Bears legend. And and it sounds like Uncle Uncle Dick Buckus is giving Luke you know what about being with the Green Bay Packers, and it's just a cool, it's a real. Real funny dynamic when you see Buckus on Twitter talking about his nephew and talking about talking crap about the Packers. I wouldn't have it any other way. I've got a lot of respect for Dick Buckus, and I love that rivalry. He just keeps it lit pretty well um, there on Twitter. But it says, Luke Buckus shouts out Larry McCarring for setting the standard of the Packers in the old line room. He said, quote, the guy in the back there with the messed up pinky. If you've ever seen Larry McCarron hold a microphone, you know exactly what he's talking about. That pinky is disgusting from playing all those years. It said Larry gave a big smile from the back of the room. Again, high energy from these coaches. It's uh, it's really, really cool. Um, so Tom Clements, uh, obviously the new quarterback's coach. 
he said, you know, it's already came out now that that Aaron Rodgers was the one who reached out to him. Guys, as soon as Aaron, as soon as it was reported that Tom Clements was going to be the quarterback's coach, we knew Aaron Rodgers was coming back. The media is now acting like they're just finding out that, wow, Aaron Rodgers actually reached out to Tom Clements, and they're going to make it this big story, and they'll try to get some clicks out of it the way they always do. We all knew that was what happened. As soon as he announced he was coming back, it was, okay, Aaron's coming back. I have no worries at all. You heard me talk, and I tried to ease into it because I don't want to sound like this know-it-all at the time. right? I don't want to just it, – it, the writing was on the wall. Aaron was coming back, but – Tom Clements, they asked him, they said, on your year off from football, you know, what did you do? He said, quote, just hung around with the dog drinking beer. <laughs> so that was cool. Uh, Tom Clements is uh, one of Aaron Rodgers' favorite coaches ever from his decade with the Packers from uh, 2006 to 2016. They said, Coach, what brought you back? His quote was Delta. <laughs> I love this dude, man. You can tell why Aaron likes him because Aaron's got that very dry sense of humor, um, kind of the smartest guy in the room type thing. So, uh, you know, Tom Clements is a, a very witty coach. Uh, I, I thought he'd done an excellent job when he was here before, but he's going to be a great addition, I think, to the Packers staff. Um, it said, uh, Tom Clements also said, quote, I didn't have the itch to come back. He says he's back because Aaron Rodgers reached out to him and he wants to win his sec- second Super Bowl ring in Green Bay. So really, really cool stuff there. I'll go one more tweet and we'll let you guys out of here. Matt Schneidman tweeted, wide receiver coach Jason Vrabel says Amari Rodgers needs to have more confidence and belief in, believe in himself like he did at Clemson. And he said, quote, I think he's going to take a big step this year. So a lot of praise coming out of the coaching room. Um, it's going to be really, really cool. Uh, you, here's another one. This actually just came across the wire not too long ago. Uh, new Packers offensive coordinator Adam, Adam Sinovich, uh, who was promoted from offensive line coach. On the edges, he said, quote, on the edges, we need a guy or two just to shore up the tackle position. So he's already talking about we just need a guy or two on the edge to kind of shore the position up. I think they look at it the same way we've talked about guys going into the draft. If you can get a starting tackle, go get him in the draft. If you if the board doesn't fall that way, right, and you wouldn't consider him a starting caliber tackle and, and you can get better value somewhere else, you could probably slide Jenkins over to right tackle, plug and play John Runyon or Royce Newman with uh, with Myers at center. And at the same time, you can get those interior offensive linemen later in the draft. We talked earlier on the, on the podcast here. Actually, in the first round, I personally believe it would be well worth the pick if we took Linderbaum, right? It grades out, like I said, at the uh, number 20 spot for me on my board. Um, I could see that being someone that, you know, obviously the Packers already visited with. Doesn't mean they're going to take him. Might be a smoke screen. Who knows? But I think that you could also sure up the offensive line without having to reach the tackle. But just Stinovich kind of giving an idea of, or giving a little hint that, look, yeah, we're looking to, uh, to you know, build up that edge moving forward. So I just thought it was important to kind of kind of wrap the show up with that, guys. Um, you know, because it, it was, you know, the day that the promoted slash hired Packers coaches would speak to reporters. And I think it's cool to kind of uh, get put your finger on the pulse there a little bit of these new coaches. And it's obvious the one thing that stands out to me is everybody who was promoted and the guys who were brought in as new coaches, they're going to carry that G the same way we talk about Matt LaFleur wanting them to. And that's high energy, high effort all the time. I think that that's going to carry on. I'm coming away from 
hearing the seeing these quotes, hearing the press conferences, very, very encouraged that we're not going to lose that aspect of our coaching room with Nathaniel Hackett gone. I think the energy is going to stay, stay up. And uh, as we wrap up, I do want to say this. There's going to be some big news coming out. I'm getting rumors that it may have already dropped. It's, it should be hitting you know, pretty heavy that Dan Snyder in, in, uh, in Washington with the Commanders, uh, it's NFL news, it's worth mention, mentioning. That dude has screwed the pooch on everything possible. I mean, seriously, he has done such a bad job. He's about to lose his team. There's some more information coming out of Capitol Hill with some of the investigations that's been provoked. And uh, I'm telling you, that dude, how he has as much money as he does is beyond me because he is a horrible businessman in the sense of, you know, community and and public relations and all that. He doesn't know whether to crap or go blind, so he just closed one eye and farts. I mean, the dude has no clue about how to operate with other human beings, but I'll just leave it at that. And uh, the last thing... You know, we had the whole issue with uh, with Dwayne Haskins losing his life. I'm going to keep this very brief, all right? I don't want to get into no kind of political rant. I don't want to get into arguments over uh, someone else losing their life. I'm also not a fan of cancel culture. A lot of people are calling for the cancellation of certain people that made comments, this and that. But I'll say this about Dwayne Haskins. Nobody knows, including myself and especially some idiotic media members who think they're on their ivory tower and they understand exactly what people are going through. Nobody knows what that guy was going through. You know, the inner circle says he had started to cut the corner. He was changing his life. He's becoming a better person. And to lose his life, and we have to sit here and listen to professional media members talk about it as if, yeah, well, he screwed this up and he actually didn't perform well at this team. The, the guy has a family out there. He has parents. He has children, uh, a wife, a sister, a brother, whatever. I don't know all the details of his, you know, his personal life. All I know is he's a human being. And all I know is people make mistakes every day. God knows I have. Are you willing to forgive? Are you willing to forget? How about, how about we have a little bit of grace towards each other? Instead of acting like, you know, that just because we got a media pass, all of a sudden we're better than everybody else. You know, it's like the old quote. It's, you know, we are what the uh, the product of the decisions we make, not the circumstances we face. Right? And here you got a guy that made mistakes and was trying to turn his life around. He tragically loses his life and we immediately want to turn to the negative. I don't know, man. Social media... It's out of control. And the reason I'll tell you that is because some of the stuff that was said, you can bet your you-know-what, that little weak chin reporter would not say it to the uncle's face or the dad's face or the brother's face. No, no. Because they can hide behind their little Twitter and act like tough guys. I get tickled watching people on Twitter try to act tough. It cracks me up. Uh, every time I see somebody make a snarky comment on Twitter or try to be cute or, or whatever, I immediately think, yeah, that person, they're not tough. They're trying to act tough. They're not tough. Where I come from, you keep your mouth shut. You speak when spoken to. You, uh, you respect people until they disrespect you. And that's the part that bothers me the most is, None of these reporters and these media members 
knew exactly what kind of person Dwayne Haskins was. It's the same thing that happened with Sean Taylor. You know, everybody likes to talk about how Sean Taylor, you know, he had it coming and he this is the kind of life he chose and blah, blah. He was in bed with his fiance wife. I'm not sure if they were married. And he was asleep and somebody broke into his house. And all of a sudden, the media turns it into like he was out in the streets just acting a fool and got what was coming. It's just amazing to me, man. Amazing to me. But again... You know, that's social media today. But I don't mean to end it on a, uh, you know, a, I don't know, a negative note, I guess is the best way to put it. But it's just worth mentioning. We got to be better. We got to take care of one another. We got we to gotta start, you know, showing each other grace. And uh, for, for all those tough guys out there on social media, why don't you just, the next time you tweet something, you make a snarky comment, why don't you think, would I say that to their face? Because we all know the answer. You wouldn't. I've seen you. I've seen the pictures of you. Yeah, you're not You're not tough. Stop acting like you're tough. But we're going to wrap it up with a little sound bite. I thought this was really cool. I, it popped up on YouTube for me. Um, it's Dwayne Haskins when he was visiting as a very, very uh, young kid. It looked like he was probably somewhere around 10, 11, maybe 12 years old. He was visiting Ohio State. Uh, and... Uh, you can kind of hear him. I don't want to ruin it, but you hear, uh, I don't know if it was his dad, his uncle, whoever, um, older gentleman, ask him what he thought. And I want you to listen to what he says. It's a pretty cool sound bite. But rest in peace, Dwayne Haskins. You know, it's obvious you wasn't perfect, but neither am I, and neither is anybody else listening to this podcast. Uh, prayers go out to the family. And again, let's just uh, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. Uh, I think after something like that happens, it's it's truer now more than ever. But uh, appreciate you guys' time. As always, go Pack Go. Wink. Yeah. What do you think? This is awesome. Going awesome. to college here. You going to college here? <laughs>